Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So glad to be with you once again on another episode as we dive into a chronological teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, today is podcast 56. The title is Jesus, the Bread of Life. And so we're going to be in John chapter 6, verses 22 through chapter 7, verse 1. So if you have your Bible handy, get it out. But if you are either working out, you're driving, whatever you're doing, you don't have access to a Bible and you're just listening I will read this passage for you. Now, to pick things up, we just left off in podcast 55 where we saw that Jesus walked on water. And and in this area, remember, the disciples and Jesus, they were returning from Bethsaida in Luke chapter 9, verse 10. Now, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 in Mark 6, 31 through 44. So again, you could check things out if you missed the previous podcast. Now, what happened was, remember, the disciples, they go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And there they got caught up in a terrible storm. So Jesus, remember, he came to the rescue. He walked on water. And Peter, seeing him, the disciples, remember, they thought it was a ghost. He says, Jesus, if it really is you, tell me to come out and I will come to you. And so he did, but then he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to drown. Of course, he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus picks him out of the water, puts him onto the boat with him in it. And they miraculously get to the other side of the shoreline. So that's where we pick things up now here in John chapter 6 beginning in verse 22. Now as always you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast and there you'll see my notes. So let's pick things up. John 6 beginning in verse 22. Now on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, And yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, 
that I should not lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As a living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Then chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Well, this is a very, very deep passage, as as you can tell. And I just want to say up front, as I dive into this podcast today, this is probably to date on this podcast, one of the most difficult passages. So I just want you to know I've done my best. I realized that maybe I could bring some proper interpretation. That's my goal. And to clarify some things and explain a few things. Um, that can really help, you know, contextually. But if it creates more questions in your mind or if I don't cover something or there's confusion, please, as always, you can email me at info at Love to respond with you. But I just want you to just know, and I do apologize up front, that this may be 
a little bit of a long podcast. I'm going to try to keep it under 30 minutes, but I'm going to do my best to try to, again, be concise and bring a proper understanding to the text. So let's jump into verse 24 as we get started. Now, it says here that when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into a boat and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, remember, this is the same crowd that Jesus fed from the 5,000. And then in verse 26, when they came to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, how did you get here? Jesus responds to them. He says, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Notice, Jesus doesn't explain to the crowd why he left with his disciples, but he asked them why they left to come see him. You see, Jesus wanted them to share their motive. They tried to make him, remember, king before he left in John 6, 14 and 15. And they had been following him because of his supernatural abilities to give them earthly provisions. So in verse 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So now Jesus contrasts between physical food, because remember, that's their focus, to spiritual food. But also notice in verse 27, he uses this phrase, the Son of Man. Now, this is a new title that didn't carry as much weight or understanding. So here Jesus could bear whatever meaning he wanted it to have. And so notice the phrase that he uses to connect to this title. He says, for on him, that is Jesus himself, God the Father has set his seal. See, Jesus is speaking to the ownership the Father has over his son. The last time we saw this publicly displayed was at the baptism of Jesus. And so Jesus is publicly saying this to the crowd now, that through the signs of feeding you in the wilderness and you coming after me, I want you to come after me knowing who I am. But in verse 28, the people said to him, what must we do then to do the works of God? You see, the people, they didn't understand. They weren't getting what Jesus was saying. He's talking about spiritual life. And yet all the while, they're just concerned about physical food. They're concerned about things in the world. They're concerned about how can we get the supply the necessary things that we need to provide for ourselves and for our family. So the crowd at this stage coming to Jesus, they're looking for, if you will, a formula. Now in verse 29, Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, that's the true test, is belief. The answer that Jesus is looking for here is obedience, for them to deny themselves the pleasures of the world and to pursue what Jesus has for them. But now notice in verses 30 and 31, they said to him, then what sign do you do? See, now what Jesus did in feeding the 5,000 is now not enough. They say that we may see and believe you. What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, the crowd, they didn't see Jesus as God. And now they're demanding for a sign like what Moses gave the people in the wilderness. Now notice how the spokesperson references Exodus 16 verse 4 and Nehemiah 9 verse 15. Now Jesus says to them, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So what Jesus does is he corrects the crowd, this spokesperson of the crowd, that it wasn't Moses who performed the miracles. The manna didn't come from Moses. The manna came down directly from heaven from God. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see here, my friend, the manna was a picture of Christ to come who is the true bread from heaven. 
See, Jesus is not just a source to do miracles. He is the direct true source of life. Now in verse 34, they say to Jesus in response, sir, give us this bread always. So now this back and forth exchange that you're seeing take place right now between the crowd and Jesus, I want you to know, because as a Westerner, we can look at this and think, man, this crowd is very disrespectful. They're being very rebellious to Jesus, very disrespectful to what he's trying to tell them, and they just don't get it. Well, first off, we got to understand the Jewish context and the Jewish mind. This was very customary in ancient times. You see, the crowds were given the privilege and the opportunity to continually to ask questions to the main speaker. What this did was it gave the main speaker, in this case Jesus, the opportunity to clarify his main points, but also make sure that the audience left with an understanding. So that's what's happening here. But now notice what Jesus does say though, because you do see a sense of not just a confusion that's going on among the disciples, but you also sense that there is this refusal to want to believe. They're, they're making it more difficult for Jesus because their hearts are truly hardened. And again, as we read before, we'll see that, that, that unfold. And it's a very, very sad verse. So Jesus says to them in verse 35 and 36, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never perish. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. In essence, what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the bread of life, what he's doing is he's constituting the first I am statements. This goes way back to Exodus 3.14, Isaiah 41.4, Isaiah 43 verse 10. But you may be thinking, why is this important? Well, it's important on many fronts. The main one is this, is that in the Jewish context, and the, and, the, and the sources that were used back then, like the Sirach, for example, they would oftentimes use manna and they would use water to speak of God's spiritual nutrient and provisions. So in essence, what Jesus was doing to bring further clarification to the crowd is he's saying, look, what I'm saying is I'm divine wisdom. Now, that was something they could grasp. But in addition to that, notice what he says now, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, remember, the Jews, they believe strongly in the sovereignty of God. So no one who believes and comes to God will be rejected. So Jesus is saying, don't reject me because I'm divine wisdom. I'm God. If you reject me, then you're rejecting not just truth, you know, in terms of the, the Jewish scriptures, the law, but you're rejecting God himself for I am God. Verse 38 says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, as a prophet, the Jewish mind in the Jewish mindset, they knew that prophets came of God and they spoke God's words. They did what God had told them to do. And Jesus is saying, not only am I doing the will of him who sent me, but I come from him directly. So he speaks to the reason as to why he came. God's will, my friend, as Jesus was telling the audience here in John 6, and the truth remains still the same. God's will is that we might be saved. Now in verse 39, he says, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should not lose anything at all, but raise it up on the last day. Now remember the Jews not only believe in the sovereignty of God, but they also believe in the coming resurrection at the end. And that's something we see in Daniel chapter 12, verse two. So how do the people then respond to what Jesus is getting at? Well, we're told in verse 41 and 42, not in a good light. 
We're told that the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So how do they respond? They say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So again, they're they're focused on the physical nature, right? They're focused on materialism, physical food, etc. And when Jesus says, I've come down from heaven, again, and you can understand why they're confused because they're saying, this was a man who was born and he has a mother, an earthly mother like we all have, right? He was brought into this world. So he had a birth date, but yet he's saying he came from heaven and how is he saying that he's eternal? Now, one of the commentaries that I put here on my notes, it put it like this, the Jews there began to grumble. In the wilderness, Israel grumbled about their hunger. So God provided manna. They continued to grumble afterward, leading to judgment. Here, they grumble about God's provision of spiritual manna. So they choose to not ask further questions to understand what Jesus is saying. They begin to mock him. So now we're told in verse 43 and 44, Jesus answers them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus now shifts his attention to the crowd's defiance and grumbling. Remember, he was addressing the truth of why they came to see him in the first place. And then he's, he was giving them clarification. But now it's turned to defiance. And so Jesus has to now address that because they're not willing to accept not only what he's saying, but they're not willing to accept who he is. So that's why in verse 45, Jesus says, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, this is significant because what Jesus is doing is he's turning to the scriptures, Isaiah 54, Jeremiah 31, and he's doing it because he's backing up his claims. He's identifying to the Jews that if you believe in the word of God, I am that word. And now in verse 46, not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God, he has seen the father. He's saying, look, no one can see the glory of God, yet I have this unique relationship with the father. I have seen his glory because I am God. You can go back to John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. That, that's that whole description that I laid out in our previous podcast. So Jesus is trying to, again, direct his attention on them disputing um, these claims, this defiance, this grumbling. And he's trying to then point back to Scripture so that they can understand that he is the fulfillment of the Word of God. And yet we're told in verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat. So the crowd was still only hearing what Jesus was saying with a materialistic understanding. And remember, the Mediterranean people back then, cannibalism, again, was a disgusting behavior. It was a, it was a practice that was abhorrent. And many of them believe that people who practice such um, acts were possessed. Now, we obviously today feel the same way that cannibalism is, is abhorrent, it's nasty, it's wrong, it's disgusting. And I'm sure many people who do partake in that practice today, I would say a lot of them are probably possessed. So you can imagine now as they're hearing these words of Jesus that they're thinking he is possessed. Not as not only is he a, a, maybe a cannibalist, but he's a possessed one at that. But what's so funny when I look at this is that rather than Jesus ignore it and kind of go to something else, he just keeps egging it on. Notice he says in verse 53, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, there, there again, he's bringing that title back. And drink his blood, you have no life in you. Again, 
the Jewish crowd is having a hard time with this because in Leviticus 3.17, chapter 17, verse 10 through 24, it says that you're not to drink blood. So the people came to Jesus thinking he would give them more bread. He's now saying he himself is the bread and that you need to eat him. Now, what is Jesus getting at? Why is he making it so difficult, it seems, for these people to understand? What he's doing is he's identifying himself, again, figuratively, as a Passover lamb. Now, this language that Jesus is using with the audience was in riddle form. That was oftentimes used by sages, and the crowd understood that. Now, it doesn't mean that they would understand everything that the sage or the speaker was saying, but they understood that when they're putting it in that type of form, that they really had to think hard at what the sage was saying, and that's what Jesus was doing. Now, in verse 54, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, remember, the scriptures say this in context of what I just said earlier in Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 17. In verse 11, Leviticus 17, it tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement for sin. Jesus is speaking to his death and to his resurrection. Now, Morrison, his commentary writes, quote, eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood point to that central saving act described otherwise in, say, John 3.16. Christ's death opens the way to life. Men enter the way by faith. Eating the flesh and drinking the blood represents a striking way of saying this, end quote. Jesus continues in verse 55, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And then verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, I want to say this for us to understand what he's saying. This is not referring directly to communion. When you see that on the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, you know, Luke 22, 14 through 23. What Jesus, again, is speaking about, as I mentioned earlier, is about himself personally. Just like physical food gives nutrients for the body, Jesus, who is the real spiritual food, will sustain us for all eternity. And that's why the practice of communion comes as a result of this very truth that we see in John 6, 57 and 58. So in order for you and I to partake and have communion and do it in remembrance of him, what are we remembering? That he is the body that was broken and that the shedding of blood came from him. So that's what he's telling the crowd. And I love this. And again, this is why we can't really spend so much time. I wish I could, but that's why this passage is so powerful because they came wanting physical food. And so Jesus uses that need, that pain, that felt pain that they had. And he turns it to focus in on spiritual food and that they need to partake of him, not just him as a person who does miracles, who does signs, but to accept him as the son of man. And this is now where we look at that really sad verse in John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, it wasn't for a lack of understanding. It wasn't Jesus's fault why the disciples, these disciples, again, we don't know them by name. We don't know how many of them there were or how long they followed him. But we clearly see in John's gospel that they were unwilling to accept these very words of Jesus. And I believe, based on what we've been able to look at on today's podcast contextually, that most of the crowd now, again, remember I mentioned about the riddles and all that kind of stuff and the titles and the usage of the terms that Jesus was using and this bantering back and forth. I believe at that point of them turning and walking away is because they understood what he was saying and that the crowd, they still wanted physical bread. They still wanted 
a king and they wanted Jesus to be that king. He was bright. He was able to do signs. He would be an amazing leader, but he's just not convinced to do that. And we're not convinced to believe in this eternal life that he says that he can give us. Now, in response to this, Jesus then turns to the 12 disciples and he asks this question, do you want to go away as well? Now, that's an interesting question. Bruce in his commentary writes this, quote, as John phrases our Lord's question in Greek, he implies that it was not asked in a mood of despair. The use of the Greek negative me in a question indicates that the answer no is expected. You could put it like this, Bruce writes, you don't want to go away too, do you? End quote. So notice as Jesus turns his focus and his attention on the disciples, he's saying, I know you guys don't want to leave either, right? And Simon Peter answers Jesus. Once again, here's Peter coming out boldly. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter identifies boldly that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Everything he said, though the other disciples in the crowd were confused, they themselves weren't. But now notice how Jesus responds. He doesn't rebuke Peter. He doesn't say, oh, Peter, you don't really believe that. You do want to leave just like everybody else does. No, he says, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Now, I find this fascinating because, remember, John, years later, in writing his biography of Jesus, that's unlike the other three, the synoptics, he puts a commentary, he puts a note because he's recalling this incident and how the disciples stood fast and they believed in Jesus as the Messiah. But he also remembers why Jesus responded the way he did because he was speaking of Judas. At the time, they didn't know that. But now, of course, John years later knows it and he knows the end result of what happened to Judas Iscariot. Now, this is a great picture, my friend, of believers and unbelievers you see, the crowds, they left Jesus because they didn't believe. And yet Peter and the disciples, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet all the while, Judas was pretending to believe. And yet one day, what would he do? He would not only betray Jesus, but he would ultimately deny Jesus in his life and he would commit suicide. So my friends, there's two things that I want to leave you with today before we end this podcast together. The first thing is this, like the crowd, if there's anything in your life that's a materialistic thing, something that you idolize, that you can't get rid of, and it's hindered your relationship with God, I pray that you get right with God today. Don't be like that crowd. Don't reject God in your life. Now, remember, as a Christian, we can still reject the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you reject your salvation and you're no longer saved. What you're saying is in disobedience and defiance and sin, I don't want you to be actively involved in my life. I want to worship this over here. And now you and I know, like we talked about in previous podcasts, when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, we can't serve two masters. The second thing is this, like we look at Judas Iscariot. There are false disciples in the midst of us. And my question to you is how discerning and how invested are you into these, in these people's lives that you can recognize that they're truly not an authentic follower and yet you got to reach them for Christ. You got to share the gospel with them. And, and if they're a new believer and they're questioning things and they're confused, they need to be discipled. So what effort are you making to change the life of people in your life? My friends, God loves you. God wants to use you. 
And I'm so glad that once again, we got to have this time together. So I love you guys. I'll be praying for you and can't wait to see you on the next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.